0: Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we we're there in Numbers chapter number 16, and of course, on Sundays, we've been going through a series entitled Wilderness Wanderings, and we've been going studying through the book of Numbers, going chapter by chapter through the book of Numbers, and this morning we find ourselves in Numbers chapter 16, and uh, Numbers 16 is one of the main chapters in the Bible. Uh, that deal with the subject of rebellion, and uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about this morning the rebellion of this man by the name of Korah, and let me just say this up front, because whenever I preach a sermon like this, someone's going to, you know, wonder why I'm preaching this, or if there's some sort of problem or some, some sort of issue, and just let me remind you. Um, I'm preaching through Numbers 16 because we've been preaching through the book of Numbers, all right? And if you've been with us, I've preached through Numbers 15 and Numbers 14 and Numbers 13, all right? So we're just in Numbers 16 because it's just where we are. Uh, but this is a highly applicable uh, sermon because the truth of the matter is that there's a tendency for rebellion in the hearts of every man. And uh, whether it's a child rebelling against their parents, whether it's a wife rebelling against her husband... Uh, whether it's a man rebelling against his boss at work or, or a church member rebelling against their pastor, uh, there is a tendency in human nature to want to rebel. So sermons like this and passages like these are highly applicable uh, to us. And of course, I want to apply this uh, to every uh, area of life that we're able to, but the, the main application for New Testament Christianity is rebellion within a church. Because remember, in the book of Numbers, we are dealing with the congregation of the children of Israel, uh, which the Bible, in the Old Testament, they're called an assembly, they're called a congregation. But in the New Testament, these exact people are called the church in the wilderness. And they picture, they are an example, or the biblical word is an ensample of a church of course, Moses as their pastor. And there is a tendency to be a lot of rebellion within a congregation, within a church. Uh, There are churches, many churches, uh, often will go through church splits where someone raises up against the leadership of the church. And that is the main application here, although um, we can definitely apply it to any uh, situation dealing with rebellion. But I want us to look at this uh, story here of the rebellion of Korah. And I'd like to give you uh, three points, three uh, statements this morning regarding uh, this rebellion. And uh, maybe you can jot these down on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down things. Uh, And here's the first one. I'll just give you the first point up front so you can write it down. I'd like you to notice the charge against Moses and Aaron. I'd like you to notice that there's an accusation brought against Moses and Aaron, and there is a charge that is brought against Moses and Aaron, but I... But here's what I want you to see. When we begin in Numbers chapter 16, um, we are going to get to the accusation, the charge against Moses and Aaron. But before we get to the accusation, we first have an insurrection. And I want you to notice that in Numbers 16 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. It says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. Now I want you to notice here that Korah, was a son of Levi, meaning he was part of the tribe of Levi. He was a, Levitic, he was a Levite, and he was part of that lineage. Uh, by the way, that means that he's related to Moses, but he serves in this sort of spiritual tabernacle leadership of the Levitical priesthood. He's a son of Levi. The Bible says, And Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. I want you to notice that phrase, took men. And what we have here is Korah and Dathan and Abiram and on. These men have an issue with their leader, which is Moses and Aaron. They have a problem with their leader. And here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with having a problem with leadership. If you have a legitimate problem with leadership, the Bible definitely gives us steps as to how to deal with those problems and how to address issues, but I want you to notice that in verse number one, we see where this whole thing got derailed right at the beginning. Because the Bible doesn't say, Now Korah, the son of Kohath, and Dathan, and Abiram, and on, had an issue with Moses, and they went to him privately and discussed it. That's not what it says. It says that, Now Korah, the son of Izhar the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on, the son of Peleth the sons of Reuben. And here's where they, the whole thing already, just from verse one, fell apart. The Bible says... Took men. And what that means is that they went and gathered all sorts of people to put against Moses before they ever even brought the problem to Moses. What's interesting to me about this story is that before we get to the accusation, we already have an insurrection. We have an insurrection before we have an accusation. And this is where it often falls apart. It falls apart and just you can note this look if you if you if you say i need to identify coras in our lives and i will say this as a pastor my job is to identify coras that would come into a congregation to try to cause problems but you might have coras enter into your family you might have coras at work you might have coras Within the situations that you deal with in life, and just know this uh, right from the beginning. A telltale sign of Korah is that he will go to other people and involve other people in his problem instead of going to the leadership with the problem, which is what the Bible says he should do. He took men, look at verse 2, and they rose up before Moses. With certain of the children of Israel. Now notice, the Bible says in verse 1, he took men. And that doesn't really give you a good idea, because then in verse 2, we're told, how many men? 250. I mean, that's, you've told a lot of people. You told a lot of people before you told Moses. And here's what's interesting, is Moses didn't know about this. Aaron didn't know about this. And I've often said this uh, in ministry. In ministry, as a pastor, and my wife, as a pastor's wife, we're always the last people to know. Our church has about 250 people in it. I think we have 249 or something people. I'm not sure. 247 people here this morning. And, and so I can relate to this because it's often been the case that 250 people know something before I know. And, uh, and, and this is a problem. This is rebellious. Look, it is a rebellious spirit when someone says, go to everyone and tell everyone, but not the pastor. Go to everyone and tell everyone, but not the pastor's wife. Go to all 250 church members, but don't go to pastor. That's a problem. That's rebellion. That's a Korah. And by the way, let me just apply it to your job, men. When when you're going to all 250 employees but not the boss, that's a problem. That's an issue. You cross the line when you take men. They took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel. 250 princes of the assembly, and notice they didn't choose just 250 people. Obviously, it's a nation with millions of people on it. They chose 250 men who were famous in the congregation, men of renown. So they picked people that had some credit, some credibility, and this is an insurrection. This is a church split. This is a hostile takeover. This is Korah. And Dathan and Abiram trying to gather enough people on their side to usurp the authority of Moses and Aaron and to try to remove him. And you say, how do you know when you're dealing with a Korah, the minute they took men, they were wrong. The minute they went to 250 men of renown and rose up before Moses and against Moses and against Aaron, they were wrong. Let me give you another example of this. Another, I would say that number 16 is the most famous passage regarding rebellion in the Bible. But I would say that the second most famous passage is 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel 15, I'd like you to go there. Keep your place there in Numbers 16. That's our text for this morning. And go to 2 Samuel 15. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 15 and I'd like you to look at verse number 1. Now, when you get to 2 Samuel, do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark there or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. And I'd like you to be able to get to it quickly, 2 Samuel 15. And again, let me just say, you know, because pre- if I preach something like this, people are like, Pastor, is there some sort of a problem? Is there a core? Look, as far as I know, there's no problems in our church. But let me just say this. I'm always the last one to find out. So that means nothing, you know. My wife and I, we're always, we're always when, when things are going well, we're always wondering, like, what's happening that we don't know about? What's happening that like all 250 people know and they're just not telling us about, you know? So, so I'm telling you I don't know of any problems, but I'm also telling you that means nothing <laughs> because I'm usually the last one to find out. 2 Samuel 15, look at verse 1. And I just always assume that there's always a problem because there's always problems. 2 Samuel 15, look at verse 1. Here's another famous story of an insurrection and a rebellion. This was Absalom, of course, going against his own father, David, who's king. 2 Samuel 15, verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass after this, that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses, lo- notice again, and 50 men to run before him. He has a problem with his uh, 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 father, David. And by the way, let me just say this, Absalom's problem with David was legit. He, it was a legitimate problem. If Absalom would have taken the proper steps and the right steps to confront David and say, David, you're the king, and you're my father, and you've done wrong, and you're not doing right, and you're not doing what you're supposed to, he would have been right. But the minute he involved 50 men, he was wrong. Look at verse 2. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate, and it was so that when... I want you to notice what the Bible says, because nothing in the Bible is incidental, accidental, or coincidental. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. And here's what the Bible says, that he, when, that he rose up, and it was so that when, here's the words I want you to notice, any man. Okay, that's, the Bible is telling us here, it wasn't specific man, it was any man. Anybody. Any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment. Then Absalom called unto him and said, of what city art thou? And he said, thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. Now here's what I want you to understand. What these, what this, these any man were doing, is they had a problem, and they were going to their spiritual, biblical authority. They were going to King David, who God had placed as their authority to try to solve the problem. But what Absalom does is he steps in between that person and their authority... The Bible says, Any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment. Then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servants are of the one of the tribes of Israel. And let me again just say this. When somebody's telling you, Kids, don't go to your mom. Don't go to your dad. When somebody's telling you, Don't go to your boss. When somebody's telling you, Don't go to the pastor. Don't go to the pastor's wife. Mark it down. They're wrong. The person who's trying to keep something from the biblical spiritual authority is wrong. Always. Period. End of story. Just mark that down. The person who's saying, don't tell pastor. When the conversation begins with, don't tell Miss Joanne, just mark it down. They're wrong. They're the bad person. They're the bad. They're the villain in this story. Verse 3, and Absalom said unto him. Now remember, who's Absalom talking to? He's talking to any man. He's talking to every man. He's talking to everyone, and here's what he says. See, thy matters are good and right. Now, this already tells you that Absalom is a piece of garbage. Because you know what I've noticed about people who are false leaders? Is they want to make everyone feel good. You know what a right, what a true leader does? He says, hey, I love you, but you're wrong. But Absalom, just any man, any man, he's like, Thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. And this is how, look, over the years and 13 years of ministry, my wife and I have had people try to rise up against us in this church, and this is something that they often do. In situations where we have to biblically step in and say, hey, we love you, but that's wrong. You're not right here. You shouldn't do that. That's not the right thing to do. Someone else could come along and say, oh, you're right. (laughs) Everything you do is good. Really? Really? Everything anyone does is good. You know, if if somebody's telling you that, they're lying to you. That's Joel Osteen standing up in front of 20,000 people saying, everything you guys do is great. Just make sure you continue to buy me Ferraris, and you'll be good to go. And Absalom said unto him, see, thy matters are good and right, and there is no man deputy to the king to hear thee. Verse 5, And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king. Notice, these people were coming to the king. But Absalom inserts himself before they can get to their biblical spiritual authority. And the Bible says that on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So, notice it, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And he split the church. He split the nation. He literally brought a civil war in the nation of Israel against his father, David. Go to the New Testament. Let me give you a New Testament example of this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Keep your place there in 2 Samuel. That's our text for that. That's not our text, but I want you to stay there because we're going to come back to it. And then I'd like you to also keep your place in Acts. All right. So we're in Numbers, we're in 2 Samuel, and we're in Acts. Acts 16, look at verse, excuse me, Acts 20, look at verse 28. Acts 20, verse 28. Here's what Paul said to the elders of Ephesus as he was leaving to go to Jerusalem. Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves. And to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. And this is, this is Paul speaking to elders, speaking to pastors. And notice he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Paul is talking to pastors, to spiritual leaders. And to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. He says, you're the boss. You're the one that the Holy Ghost made the overseer. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, Also of your own selves shall men arise, notice it, of your own selves. The enemies are not just out there. They're in here. You don't think we've got Judas Iscariot in here? If If Jesus had... You know, 1 in in 12 was a a, a devil. I figure I'm no better than Jesus. I've got to at least have the same ratio. 1 in 12 is a devil. (laughs) Also of your own selves, shall man arise, speaking perverse things. Notice it. Don't miss it. To draw away disciples after them. I've always wondered why it's so hard for people to just, when they get vaccinated, why don't they just quit? Why do they have to quit and try to take people with them? Why do they have to draw away disciples after them? See, because we've had people that just quit. They just got back to them. They just stopped coming. No problem. We love them. We hope they come back. But when someone leaves and then tries to draw away disciples after them, mark it down. They're a grievous wolf. They're a Korah. They're an Absalom. They're a bad guy. They're a rebel. Go back to number 16. So notice, we see the insurrection. And the reason that I make that point is because the insurrection comes before the accusation. And though there should never be an insurrection... The only way to even justify this is if there was an accusation. If they came to Moses and Aaron and said, here's the problem, and Moses and Aaron said, we don't care, we don't care about you, we don't care about God, and just blew them off, okay, then maybe I would understand why they went and gathered 250 people. But the fact that they gathered 250 men before they ever even went to Moses with the problem shows you these people are bad. So we see the charge against Moses, but what I want you to notice is that we've not even seen a charge yet. All we've seen is insurrection. All we've seen is backbiting. All we've seen is gossip. All we've seen is railing. All we've seen is trying to turn people's hearts away from the leader. We see the insurrection. And then we finally get the accusation. Here's the accusation. Look at verse 3, number 16, verse 3. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. 250 men of renown, and said unto them, here's what they said, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy. And again, I want to ask Korah and Absalom, really? All the congregation are holy? We're talking about a million people. You just know for a fact that a million people, over a million people, they're all holy. By the way, these are the same people that we just saw a couple of chapters ago rebel against God and say, we're not going to go into the promised land. But you're going to stand up and say, ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, and every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, here's the accusation, wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Their, their, their accusation to Moses was, you're taking too much upon yourself and you are lifting yourself up above the people. And let me just say this. Actually, go to Jude, Jude 1, if you would. If you, if you go to the book of Revelation, right before Revelation, you have the book of Jude. It's one chapter, the book of Jude. Obviously, there are times in any organization, whether it's a government, whether it's a job whether it's a church, whether it's a family. Obviously, there are times when leaders step out of their bounds and they, and they do things that they shouldn't do and they uh, uh, abuse their authority. Nobody is arguing that. And obviously, in those situations, those leaders need to be accountable and taken to task and they need to be dealt with. But what's interesting to me is that anytime time any leader just does what God has called him to do, which is to lead, the the go-to accusation is always, you take too much upon yourselves, you're trying to lift yourself up above us. Well, was Moses really trying to lift himself up above these people? I mean, we know the story. Moses didn't even want the job. God said, go get the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he's like, I don't want to. Please don't make me. And God said, no, you're the man. You're in charge. You're the man I've chosen. You're the leader. And now they're accusing him. You take too much upon yourselves. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation. Now this story is spoken of all throughout the Bible. It's a very famous story. Let me give you an example. Jude 1.11 says this. Woe unto them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. Now the writer of Jude, Jude is, is going to give us three examples of three bad guys, three false prophets. And here's what he says. He says, they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. We're going to get to Balaam in the book of Numbers uh, later on. And then he says this, and perished in the gainsaying of Cory. Cory there, Jude 1.11, C-O-R-E is the New Testament spelling Of Korah in number 16 that we're reading about. Notice the New Testament tells us that these people perished in the gainsaying of Korah. The word gainsaying means to speak against or to oppose. The phrase gainsaying of Korah is a very well-known phrase, uh, and and it's referring to the fact that Korah led this insurrection against Moses. But what's interesting is that Korah only said one thing in the whole chapter. I mean, when, and when Jude one eleven talks about the gainsaying of Cory, it's referring to number 16. And there's only one thing he said in the whole chapter. Is there in verse 3. Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then, lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. But here's what you need to understand. That's what they said, but that's not the real reason they're mad at Moses. And you, you need to just understand this. Whatever the reason is that people give, the reason that they verbally give out loud for being upset with the leader, that's not the real reason. That's a lie. Because oftentimes the real reason is too embarrassing. They're not going to sit there and admit, I'm backslidden, I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing, I'm a grievous wolf entered in to draw. They're not going to say that. So they make this accusation against Moses, and it's a false accusation. You take too much upon you, you lift yourself up against the people, over the people. And the Bible calls that the saying of Korah. And look, I won't take the time. I preached a whole series on judgment not that long ago. We talked about spiritual authority and what the Bible calls authority within our lives. But let me just say this. The Bible teaches the concept of spiritual authority. There are people that have been placed in authority over your life and my life. And our job is to submit to the authority when the authority sins against God, when they openly do something that goes against, if they're asking you to sin, then we obey the higher authority. We obey God rather than men. But if they are not sinning, if they haven't done anything wrong, then we are just to just uh, shut our mouths and obey. Amen. Period. Do you understand what I just said? Amen. So you, you kids, if, if, you're, if your mom and dad, now if they're sinning, they're asking you to help them sell heroin in the corner. Then you don't do that. You obey God rather than men. But if what they're asking you to do, if there's nothing wrong with it, if they're asking you to clean your room, be home at a certain time, take the trash out, then you just shut your mouth and obey. Do you understand that? These individuals come up with this accusation against Moses, the man of God. So we see the charge. And what I want you to notice from the charge against Moses is that the insurrection comes before the accusation. And that's always wrong. Nothing wrong with going to someone you have a problem with, especially a leader. Nothing wrong. The Bible says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the young man as brother. If you have a problem with the pastor, come to me. Come to me. Say, you know, I have an issue with you. You did X, Y, and Z. And as long as you're respectful about it, that's biblical. But the minute you take men, you're wrong. The minute you involve the 250 people, don't tell pastor, but let me tell you what, you're wrong. In any situation in leadership, that's wrong. So we see the charge against Moses. Then we see the challenge from Moses and Aaron. First we see the charge against Moses and Aaron. Then we see the challenge from Moses and Aaron. We see how Moses and Aaron respond to this. Notice the response. First of all, I want you to notice that Moses is a very meek man. In fact, the Bible already, we already saw in the book of Numbers, the Bible called him the meekest man on earth at this time. And in Numbers 16 and verse 4, here's what Moses... So they just got... So, I mean, think about this. You're Moses, right? You, you and Aaron, you're working in the office. You're the leader of the children of Israel. You're the pastor of the congregation, the church in the wilderness, you got Moses, the pastor, you've got uh, Levi, you know, his deacon, his staff, you got the Levites, the staff there, you're working away, and all of a sudden, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and this guy named On show up with 250 people with an insurrection and a false accusation. How does Moses respond? Verse 4, and when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And, of course, this is in reference to prayer. He, he fell on his face on the ground and began to pray. You know what makes Moses different than most of us? That instead of getting in Korah's face, Moses got on his face. Most of us, we'd get in Korah's face. Moses, the Bible tells us, fell on his face before the Lord in prayer. We see the meekness of Moses. But I want you to notice also the maturity of Moses. Look at verse 5. And he spake unto Korah. By the way, let me say this. It's always a wise thing to pray before you speak. Amen. I mean, we see, he gets the accusation. First thing he does in verse 4 is he fell on his face and prayed. And then after he's prayed, after he sought God's wisdom, he stands up and then he gives his response. Verse 5. And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying... Even tomorrow, the Lord will show who are His. He says, "Look, you want to you you want to uh, uh, question my authority? That's fine. Tomorrow, the Lord will show who are His." And here's what Moses does. He challenges. They bring a charge against him, so he challenges Moses and Aaron, uh, 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 challenges Korah and Dathan and Abiram uh, to to see who God chooses as the leader. He says, even tomorrow, verse 5, the Lord will show who are his and who is holy and who will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do take you censers, Korah and all his company, and put fire there. And a censer would be uh, an instrument, a tool that you would put fire and you'd put sort of uh, sort of uh, different, uh, different types of uh, seasonings that would burn and would have a certain kind of smell. And, and this was something that was done by the Levites. But he's telling them, you take censers and you come and come near unto, unto him, verse 6, to do, take your censers, Korah and all his company, and put fire therein and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. And, and notice what Moses said. Moses doesn't s- s- get up and say, I'm the boss. He could have. But he doesn't say that. Because you know what? When a a husband has a rebellious wife, and by the way, let me just say this. Oftentimes when a husband has a rebellious wife, it's because the husband is a terrible leader. And that's the difference between us and Moses. Usually when we have rebellion, it's because we are not doing what we're supposed to do as leaders. But you know what? Moses, he doesn't just beat them over the head with the Bible. I'm the boss. He, He just says, okay, let God choose. Let God decide. This do take you censors, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. And then he says this. Notice it. Don't miss it. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. Now here's what's interesting. Isn't that exactly what they said about Moses? Look at verse 3. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, ye take too much upon you. And here's what they mean by that. They're saying, you're taking too much authority upon yourself. You're taking too much uh, 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 of leadership upon yourself. You're taking too much upon yourself. And then Moses turns around and says, no, actually Korah, actually Dathan, actually Abiram, ye take too much upon you. It's always interesting to me that oftentimes what you find is the thing that people are accusing others of doing is what they're doing. People accuse me and my wife about doing certain things and I just think to myself, well, that's what they're doing then. (laughs) They accuse us of like gossiping about and we're like, well, then you must be gossiping about us because when someone accuses you falsely, oftentimes it's called projecting. They'll project unto others what they're doing. And it's interesting because they get up and say, you take too much upon yourself. And Moses is like, no, actually, you're taking too much upon yourself. And often it's the case that whatever the accusation is, the false accusation, that it's usually what they're doing. So, so literally, when pe- people, people will accuse me, and they're like, you're making secret YouTube videos about me. I know it. <laughs> And I think to myself, like, number one, you're not that important. <laughs> number, why would I waste my time on you? Who are you that I would waste my time on you? But I think to myself, oh, you must be making secret video YouTube videos about me. If they're like, I know you got some special sc- code. Blah, I'm like, what the? <laughs> uh, you got some special name, and you're. Ma- and I think myself, That's to myself, that the must be what you're doing about me because you're accusing me. Of something that I'm not doing because you're not that important. I don't wake up thinking about you. I've got bigger things on my plate than you. When people are like, you sent this email about, it's like, I didn't send no email, so you must have sent an email about me. Because oftentimes when people accuse you of something, and it's false, and you know it's false, just mark it down. That's what they're doing to you. Moses, you take too much upon yourselves. The Holy Spirit says, no, Korah, you're taking too much upon yourself." So we see the response of Moses and Aaron, and then I want you to notice the rebellion of Korah and his company. Notice that now we're going to get the real story. We've heard Korah and his group say why they have issues with Moses, but now we're going to get the real story. Here's what's really going on. Verse 8, And Moses said unto Korah, Here, I pray you, ye sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you From the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. Now let me just take a moment to explain this to you, and here's what you need to understand. Within the tribe of Levi, there were uh, uh, different families, four different families. All of the families of the Levites worked within the tabernacle and worked within the service of God's house. They helped with breaking down the tabernacle, putting it up, Carrying it across the wilderness. They also help with the sacrifice and help with all those things. But within those families, there was one family, the family of Aaron and the sons of Aaron, who were the priests. Aaron was the high priest, and the sons were the priests. This is the equivalent of, this is the Old Testament equivalent of a pastor and then having a deacon and staff underneath them. The deacon and the staff, they're, they're in ministry, but they're not the pastor. Korah was like an assistant. He was supposed to be an assistant to Moses and Aaron. He was a Levite. But he wanted Aaron's job. He wanted Moses' job. And here's what Moses is saying. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle? He says, do you think it's a small thing that you get to serve as a Levite? It's like, you have a great position. He said, to do service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. Verse 10, And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with them. Notice the last part of verse 10. And seek ye the priesthood also. He says, you're already a Levite. Now you're trying to make yourself a priest. And you know what Moses is pointing out? He's pointing out the truth of this rebellion against him is that Korah and his friends were discontent with their position. They were envious of the position of Moses and Aaron. They already had a great position. They were Levites. They got to work in the tabernacle. God had separated them unto himself. But Moses says, Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that God, the God of Israel, has separated you from the congregation? And then he says, and seek ye the priesthood also. He said, it's not enough for you to to be a Levite. Now you're trying to be a priest also. Look at verse 11. For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And look, here's what you need to understand. These people were envious. And oftentimes rooted in a rebellion is envy. They were envious. They were envious of Moses. They were envious of Aaron. And here's the application. The application is this. Look, be content where God has you. Amen. And it's funny to me because people are like, people, and, 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 and this what happens in ministry, and people are like, well, if I was a pastor, and literally I've heard people say this, if I was a pastor's wife, and, and it's like, well, you're not the pastor, you're not the pastor's wife, why don't you just be content where God has you? Amen. Just stay in your lane. Just do what God has called you to do. This is just envy, and, and, the, the, and Moses is calling it out, you are discontent. And listen to me, people that are discontented, people that are discontented, they will compare, they will be covetous, they will cause conflict. You don't have to turn here, I'll just read this verse for you. Philippians 2.3 says this, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. The word strife means conflict, struggle. Vainglory means pride. The Bible says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, that's huma- uh, humility, let each esteem other better than themselves. See, the rebellion of Korah was this, that they were discontented. They were not content. And look, often what we, what, what we have found as we deal with human beings, which is what the ministry is all about, for 13 years we've dealt with people, and what I found is when you find a wife just in rebellion, you find a young person just in rebellion against their parents, or a wife in rebellion against their husband, or a church member in rebellion against their pastor, what you you have at the root is someone that is not content. They've not learned to be content where God has them, what God has given them. They're not satisfied with God, so they want something else. So we see the discontentment. But then I want you to notice the disrespect. Look at verse 12. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram. So Moses sends someone and says, bring Dathan and Abiram to me, the sons of Eliab, which said, because Moses said, well, I'm going to talk to you. Because Moses doesn't do what they do. They go around talking to everybody except him. He says, oh, you got a problem with me? Let's talk about it. Moses sent and called Nathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, notice what they said, we will not come. And think about the disrespect. Moses is the man of God. He's in charge. He says, we need to talk. And they're like, no. And again, look, this is why, this is why I tell people, there's no way the Bible was written by man. The insights in these stories to me are so amazing. Because Moses, he just found out about this huge accusation against him. So he says, okay, let's talk about it. And he says, Dathan and Abiram, come, let's talk about it. And what do they say? We will not come. And you know what I've learned over 13 years of ministry is that when you have issues and you have problems and you go to someone and say, okay, let's just get everybody together. Let's sit down and talk about it. Oftentimes you will have a party that says no. And immediately I know, okay, then you're the bad person. So how do you know that? Because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And usually when people have nothing, look, Moses said, I got nothing to hide. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. When people are like, no, I don't want to talk about it. It's like, well, then you're the problem. What are you hiding? What's the problem? We see this disrespect, verse 13. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up? So this is what they said. This is what Dathan and Abiram said. Cause Moses says, Let's talk about it. And they said, We will not come. But they said, But here's here's what we will say. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in this wilderness? Except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? So again, so notice they're accusing him of trying to be too much of a leader. Ye take too much upon you. Ye lift yourself up above the congregation. You're, you're, you're trying to make yourself a prince over us, is what they said. But notice what they accuse him of. They said, is it a small thing that thou has brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? And look, I just have to like laugh at this when I read it. And, and I hope you're getting the irony here, because we've been going chapter by chapter through the book of Numbers. Let me ask you a question. Is it Moses' fault that they didn't go into the promised land? Is it Moses' fault that they didn't go into the land flowing with milk and honey? Whose fault is it? The people! Moses wanted to go in. Joshua wanted to go in. Caleb wanted to go in. They had faith in God. The people rebelled. The people said, we will not go. But now they're saying, Moses, you have taken us. They said, is it a small thing that thou has not brought us up out of the land that flowed with milk and honey? You didn't take us into the promised land. They're blaming Moses, not Moses' fault. You know what I've learned in leadership? We get blamed for everything. I mean, my wife and I, literally, like, there are situations we know nothing about. Because, again, we're the last ones to always find out. And, I mean, by the time it comes to me, it's like, you did this, and you did that, and you did this. And it's like, what are you talking about? you know, leaders often, and look, for those of you that want to be in leadership, just, just, just get this in your head. You're going to get all the blame, and you're going to get almost none of the credit. <laughs> it's just how it works. When things are going great, I mean, look, and I love my staff. My staff are hard workers. Praise God for them. But when things are going great at Verity Baptist Church, it's like, Brother Oliver is so amazing. Brother David, (laughs) Brother Shaw, they're so wonderful. And then when things are are just out of control, it's like, can you believe what Pastor's doing? (laughs) You say, what do you do with that? I think, well, that's leadership. We get almost all the blame. We get almost none of the credit. It is what it is. So don't get, look, don't get upset if you're in leadership and people, people are literally blaming you for stuff that you don't, you, it's like, sometimes I think of myself like, I had nothing to do with that. I was not 100 miles from that situation. But like, pastor, pastor's doing, pastor's allowing this. Well, have you ever talked to pastor about it? Yeah, right. Oh, no, I haven't talked to him. Well, then how do you expect him to deal with it if you haven't talked to him about it, but you're going to go tell everybody else that he's failing you? Please explain to me how that makes sense. But in leadership, this what they're telling Moses, you're the reason we didn't go into the promised land. Moses is like, I'm the one that was trying to get you into the promised land. You, you didn't want to go in. So we see the discontentment. We see the disrespect. Look at verse 14. Moreover, thou hast not brought us into the land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? And notice again the disrespect. We will not come up. And look, the leadership always gets blamed. Whether they did it or not. And and look, I I don't even fight it. I just accept it because I say the buck stops. My opinion is the buck stops here. People try to blame me for stuff that I didn't do, that I didn't even know anything about. You say, what's your response? You know what I don't do? I don't go, no, no, it's not my fault. Because I'm the leader. I'm going to take responsibility. But you know what I say? Okay, let's talk about it. Let's bring everybody into a room with the lights on and let's talk about it. And then immediately they are like, no, 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 we don't want to, no, we don't want to. It's like, well, yeah, because you're the bad guy. I'm not hiding anything. And look, let me tell all of you, 250 people right now, you got something against me or my wife. I have nothing to hide. Let's talk about it. Bring it to me. Bring it because this is the only power that authority has is to walk with integrity and then to not be afraid of anyone but God. Because this is what Moses does. We saw the charge against Moses, we saw the challenge against Moses. Then I want you to notice the choosing of Moses and Aaron. And what we first see is an evaluation of Moses, and what we see is Moses' integrity. Notice what Moses does, Numbers 16:15. Because some of you are like, oh, you're a little bit in the flesh right now. No, look at what the Bible says. And Moses was very wroth. And look, oftentimes in ministry, the leader has to get mad. Spirit filled and mad as hell. And Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, respect not thou their offering. Now, why does Moses say it? Here's why he says it. Don't miss it. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. Moses says, I don't care what they say. They're lying. I know that I've walked with integrity. I know that I've not stolen from them. I know that I've not lied to them. This accusation, they never even brought it to me. I've not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. You know, the power, and for those of you who find yourself in leadership, know this, the power of leadership is to walk with integrity. And to be able to say, okay, you got an accusation, bring it. Bring your witnesses. Bring your evidence. I got nothing to hide. Let's talk about it. Abiram. Let's talk about it. Dathan. Look at 1 Samuel 12. This is not just Moses. Look at 1 Samuel 12. Notice Samuel. Samuel, another great man of God. If you kept your place in 2 Samuel, you just flip back to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 12. Look at verse 3. This is when they rejected Samuel. Remember, they rejected Samuel as the leader, they wanted to bring a king. They wanted the children of Israel wanted a king. 2 Samuel 12:3. Behold, here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. This is what Samuel is telling the children of Israel. He said, You got a problem with me? Bring it to me. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Doesn't it sound like Moses? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith? And I will restore it to you. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken out of any man's hand. And look, here's what I'm telling you. When you have a problem with the leader, if you have a problem with this leader, I'm telling you, bring it to me. I'm confident. I know for a fact that I've made no YouTube channels about you. (laughs) Because I don't care about whatever you're doing. I don't even know what you're doing. I'm confident that my wife and I have walked with I'm not saying we're perfect. We've been doing this long enough to know we've walked with integrity. So you got a problem? But here's what people do. pastors. He's doing this and he's not doing this. And he, okay, but have you talked to Pastor about it? No, no, I haven't talked to him about it. Well, then you're wrong. You're a wicked person. You're a rebellious person. Why won't you go to him? Why won't you just go and treat him as a father and deal with the issue? So, Moses, we see Moses and Samuel both say, Hey, bring it. Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or whose hand have I received any bribe uh, to blind man, man's eyes therewith? Moses said, respect not their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. So we see the integrity of Moses. But then I want you to notice the intercession of Moses. Go to Numbers 16. Numbers 16. Look at Verse 16. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron and uh, tomorrow, and take every man his censer and put incense in them, and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer, 250 censers, thou also and Aaron, each of you his censer, And they took every man his censer and put fire in them and laid incense thereon and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, So now God shows up, right? Last part of verse 19. The glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. Verse 20. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron's saying. So here's what God says. He says, he's talking to Moses and Aaron. He says, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. <laughs> God says, I'm just going to kill them all. And he's not just talking about the 250 and Korah. He's talking about the whole nation. God said, I'm just sick and tired of these people. Let's just kill them all. That's what God says. And by the way, God would have been within his rights. God is in his rights to kill whoever he wants. He gives life and he can take it away. But here's where you and I and Moses are different. Because I would have been like, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Moses says, verse 22, and they fell upon their faces and said, O oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will thou be wroth with all the congregation? They said, God, it's just Korah. It's just Korah leading these people astray. You know, as leaders, we need to have this, I, this, this attitude that says, when people are wrong and when they're doing wrong, when they're falsely accusing and when they're trying to bring an insurrection, we need to come out hard and we need, to, we need to be the shepherds and be the pastors that beat down the wolves that are trying to hurt the flock. But when people are get right, you know, we should want to have an attitude like Moses that says, God, please forgive them. Help them help come back. Help them get their hearts right. Help them be part of the congregation again. Notice that Moses wasn't vindictive. He, they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And look, I, have, I, I feel like I have proven myself over the last 13 years of ministry Amen. that we will, we will stand up and we will deal with problems and we will deal with sin but we will also forgive and restore and bring people back. So, How can you do that? It's called leadership. It's called biblical leadership. It's called trying to be a Christ-like leader. Notice verse 23. We saw Moses' evaluation and then we see Moses' vindication. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto the congregation, saying, get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. Because remember, God wants to kill the whole congregation. And Moses gets on his face and he says, it's only one man, God. It's only one group. Don't kill them all. So then God says, okay, well, verse 23, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, get you up from about the tabernacles of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. He says, okay, well then just separate yourselves from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And by the way, let me say this, you... Verity Baptist Church should separate yourselves from the Korahs, the Dathans, and the Abiram's. Those who want to insurrect and falsely accuse and not bring the matters to the leadership, you should separate yourselves from them. They're bad people. He said, separate yourselves from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram. Notice, they wouldn't come to him, but he goes to them. And the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sin. And so they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. I want you to remember that in verse 27. Their wives, and their sons, and their little children. Notice what happens, verse 28. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me. He said, Hereby means as a result of what I'm about to say and what's going to happen, you're going to know that the Lord sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own mind. Because they're accusing him and saying, you take too much upon you. And Moses is saying, I'm not taking too much upon you. God put me here. So here's the challenge, verse 29. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, Then the Lord hath not sent me. He says, if these guys die normal deaths, like normal people, they just live to old age and they die, then just know that God has not sent me. But, verse 30, If the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth, and swallow them up, with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord, And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words. I mean, get this picture. He's saying, look, if these guys die at at a natural death, an old age, then God didn't send me. But if God does a new thing, and the and the, the, the earth opens his mouth and they fall into the pit, then you'll know that God sent me. And then the Bible says that in verse 31, and it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, as soon as he's done saying that, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth, and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appertain unto Korah, and all their goods. What are the men that appertain unto them? the sons, the wives, all the people that were with them, verse 33, and they and all that appeared to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation, and all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. I mean, the earth opens up, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and their families fall into the pit, and then God sends a fire that kills the 250. You say, what do we call this? We call this vindication. Moses was vindicated. Now, before, I want to make a couple of points about this, but before we do that, I'd like you to consider the children. Look at verse 27. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, On every side, and Dathan and Abiram came out, and stood in the door of the tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. You know, these were innocent bystanders. The wives, and their sons, and their little children. Dathan and Abiram, obviously, were at a season in life where they still had their children living with them. And as a result of their rebellion, not only do they go down alive into the pit, but so do their wives and their children. And let me just say this, you know, you don't live on an island. Your sins hurt other people. There are consequences for your sin, Dad. There are consequences for your sin, Mom. And unfortunately, Dathan and Abiram's children suffered the consequences of the sins of their fathers. But what's interesting about this, and what I want you to notice, is that this doesn't happen to Korah's sons. In fact, the Bible specifically tells us that Korah's sons did not die. Let me show that to you. Go to Numbers 26. Numbers 26. Look at verse 9. Numbers 26 and verse 9. Numbers 26 and verse 9, the Bible says, And the sons of Eliab, Nemuel, and Dathan and Abiram. So Dathan and Abiram are being brought up in a lineage here. And then, of course, they can't be brought up without this story being brought up. So it says Dathan and Abiram, and then it says, And this is that Dathan and Abiram... Which were famous in the congregation who strove against Moses and against Aaron in the company of Korah when they strove against the Lord. And by the way, let me just say this. When you strive against the biblical leadership in your life, you're striving against the Lord. Because God is the one that placed them there. Look at verse 10. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died. What time the fire devoured, the two, uh, devoured 250 men and they became a sign, verse 11, notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. And you say, well, what's happening here? Because Dathan and Biram's kids are killed with them. They're in the tents. But then the Bible specifically tells us that the sons of Korah died not. Well, obviously what's happening here is that Korah must have been older and he must have been what we would refer to as an empty nester. His children, obviously, because the Bible says that David and Abiram, they came out of their tent, and their wives, and their sons, and their children. Obviously, Dathan and Abiram have their children. They're in a season of life. They're in the same season of life that my wife and I find ourselves in, where our children are all at home living with us. With Korah, his sons must have been older, and already married, and out of the house. So they didn't die. So there's a couple of applications. Go to Psalms, real quickly. Psalm If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you are more than likely find the book of Psalms. Go to Psalm 42. One application is this for the Dathan and Abiram's. One application is this. Your sin will hurt your children. But here's another application. The application is for the children. Listen to me. Young people, maybe you have a dad that's a Korah. Maybe you have a mom that's a Korah. Maybe the leadership in your life is a Dathan and an Abiram. Maybe your mom and dad are just rebellious people. They're constantly fighting with people. There's constant drama in their lives. They're constantly causing conflict and issues. That might be the case in your life. But let me tell you something. You don't have to follow them. Korah's sons did not follow Korah and his deception. Think about that. Korah got 250 men to follow him in an insurrection against Moses and his son said, no, no, we're good, dad. We grew up with all your drama. We're fine. The Bible specifically says that the children of Korah died not. Not only that, the Bible goes on to tell us that the descendants of Korah, the children of Korah, wrote great psalms. If you have a Bible that has headings in the book of Psalms that tell you who the writer of the Psalms is, then you might see this. My Bible says this in Psalm 42, in verse 1. It says, To the chief musician, Maskell, for the sons of Korah. Do you see that? Here's what the sons of Korah wrote. As the heart panteth after the water books, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. They wrote several psalms. Look at Psalm 84, verse 1. Psalm 84. If you have a heading before the book of Psalms, it says, To the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Look at verse 10. Look at what they wrote in verse 10. For a day in my court is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. The sons of Korah... Korah, who was a Levite but wanted to be a priest, wanted to usurp the authority to give himself more power and got killed and, and the earth opened up her mouth and went into a pit because he wanted more than God had uh, uh, designed for him to have. His sons, who died not with him, said, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tent of wickedness. I think they're talking about Nathan and Abiram. Listen, just because your mom and your dad are crazy, you don't have to be. You say, my parents, they're always causing drama. Okay, then you grow up and you don't cause drama. You be like the sons of Korah and say, sorry, dad, no. No, we're not going to follow you on this. They died not. And they were godly people and they ended up writing psalms and they were used of God. So you can sit there and say, my dad's a drug addict, my mom is this, it doesn't matter, you can serve God! Yeah. You can live for God. You don't have to have have the excuse like, well, my mom and my dad, and they raised me. Hey, stop. I'm sorry for that. But stop using that excuse and realize that your dad could be Quora and you can still serve God. You can serve the Lord with your life. So we see the evaluation of Moses. We see the vindication of Moses. Go back to number 16. Look at what happens in the story. Look at how it ends. Number 16. Look at verse 30 again. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, with all that appertain unto them, then and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertain unto Korah and all their goods. And they all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed up upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. Go to Romans real quickly, if you would. Romans chapter 12. If you kept your place in the book of Acts, right after Acts, you have the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. What we learn from the story is that it's better when God defends you. I mean, Moses could have stood there and gave all his reasons and gave whatever. But you know what was better is when he said, hey, if these men die a common death, then I'm not chosen of God. But if God do a new thing, if God does some new strange thing, I don't know, opens up the earth and they fall alive into the pit, and then it happens. And it's always better when God defends you. You know, in ministry, we often get attacked. I haven't told a story from this pulpit. I haven't told a story to our church family because, quite frankly, some people are just not mature enough to understand these things, so I, I don't talk too much about them. But not too long ago, I got sued. I've been sued multiple times, by the way, so just don't, don't let that freak you out. When you <laughs> preach the way I do, it's, it's only inevitable. But I got sued for something I preached. I, I was fighting against some Koras, and I preached some things and said some things, preaching against them, fighting against them. And, and you know, one of these individuals, I, I made the statement that I, I, and I was joking, okay? But I made the statement that I'm sure his, his mom wishes she would have aborted him <laughs> because he's a reprobate. Yeah, right. And you say, I don't think you say that, really? Because Jesus said about Judas that it would have been better if he would have never been born if you would have died in the womb. So, so I, you know, I preach the sermon, and then I get sued. I get sued as a result of this. I'm not going to tell you the names because I don't want to get sued again, okay? <laughs> I'm in enough lawsuits. But, I, you know, I get sued for this, and, of course, I, I talk to Brother Graham about this, and Brother Graham's just, like, a huge help with all these situations. We keep Brother Graham busy around here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this happened in Texas. So Brother Graham contacts us with a lawyer in Texas who specializes in this and they did a wonderful job. They, they, we went to court and fought it. I, I never mentioned this from the pulpit. I've never, first time I've said this from behind this pulpit. I, I never talked to you, never came to you. I, I didn't, you didn't need that stress. So we fought this. I mean, this wasn't that long ago. We're, we're talking about just a couple months ago. We fought this in court, and, and we won. And, and through the process of this, at some point the lawyer they were using uh, realized that the ship was sinking, and, and he quit. So this individual, this individual um, had a lawyer step in to help finish the case, and it was a lady lawyer, and she had the same last name. And I talked to our lawyer about it, and they said, yeah, it's his mom. His mom is a lawyer. And the way that the story goes, just to make a long story short, he sued me, and he wanted us to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. Because I was standing against this Korra, preaching against him. And, and specifically because I said, I bet his mom wishes she would have aborted him. And, and then his mom, who's a lawyer, has to step in to help resolve the situation. Here's how it ended, it ended. His mom helped broker a deal where he ended up writing me a check for $10,000 for winning, for suing me. You say, what do you do with the $10,000? We put it towards our new building. And it didn't last very long. We've already spent that. But but here's what I'm telling you. It's better when God defends you. I mean, I just feel like, isn't it like poetic poetic justice? Like, if his mom, I bet she wishes she would have aborted him now. That's all I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, it's just poetic justice that... This, not but you know, I could have got up here and talked about it and whatever. We didn't do that. We just kept doing what we we're doing. We we're buying a building. We we're getting people saved. We're and we're still doing that. You know, we're building and we're battling. But all I'm saying is this: it's better when God vindicates you. It's better when God does a new thing. It's better when you get sued for saying, "I bet your mom wishes you would have aborted you," and then the mom writes you a ten thousand dollars check. Because <laughs> only God can do that. Romans 12 and verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as I then, you live peaceably with all men. And look, that's what we're trying to do. The problem is, like the psalmist wrote, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I am for peace, but when I preach, they are for war. Notice verse 19. Dearly beloved... Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Let me tell you something. It's sweeter when God fights your battles. It's better when God fights on your behalf. It's better when God does a new thing, opens up the earth, $10,000 check comes out of it. We don't see Moses getting in the face of Korah. We see Moses getting on his face before God. So which are you? When conflict happens in your life, because it's going to happen, what do you do? You start whispering and gathering your little faction and your 250 together so you can have an insurrection before you even have an accusation. Do you get in someone's face? Or do you get on your face before God? Because that's the difference between Korah and Moses. And when you're Moses, it's just better when God defends you. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for these stories. Lord, I honestly don't know of any problems that we have at our church at this time. We've had problems. Over the years, we've had grievous wolves that entered in and tried to draw away disciples after themselves. I'm not saying, I don't know. I I, I don't know of any problems we have right now. I truly don't. But But I know this. It's human nature to rebel and help us to learn the lessons we need to learn. Help us to gather the lessons we need to gather. Help us to never be in the group that rebels against the man of God. Help us to never be in the group that rebels against the authority that you have placed in our lives. And help us to respond like Moses, not Korah. Not to get in someone's face. But to get on our face before God. And Lord, it's always better when you defend us. And I thank you when you do, when you step in. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. In the matchless name of Christ we pray, amen. We're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to give you a couple of reminders. Uh, first of all, I want to encourage you to be back tonight, 6 p.m., for the evening service